Is money slipping through your fingers? Are you missing your opportunity to become a millionaire? Welcome to The Millionaire Choice, where we talk to millionaires and future millionaires about how to build wealth and what to do with it once you have it. We're here to help you do two things. Make your millionaire choice and create your own millionaire plan. Here's your host, speaker, wealth coach, and author of The Millionaire Choice. He made his choice and he created his millionaire plan at age 25. Now it's your turn. Welcome your host, Tony Bradshaw. Hey, welcome back to the Millionaire Choice Show. Today, we're going to have a, a un, uh, how could I say this? Somebody I met by chance. Uh, you never know who you're going to run into in different places. And I decided to have lunch at Chipotle one day because my other lunch appointment canceled. And I ran into Taylor Welch. And you guys are in for a real treat today because Taylor is the founder of Wealth Cap Holdings and Welch Commercial Capital. Uh, he's a young millionaire and he's got a lot to share with you guys uh, with his story and everything he's got going on, especially in these crazy financial times. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad that uh, Providence and God, however people want to call it, put us together that day. Yeah, it was, it was fun listening to you and your dad. I, you know, I, I'm kind of jealous a little bit, honestly, because I, I don't remember having any financial discussions with my dad, except for maybe where the $100 bill got lost uh, yeah. when we went out to the movies and to eat one night. And we had to cancel the movies because uh, mysteriously the $100 they got out of the ATM disappeared. But the day I ran into you, you and your dad were sitting there talking about some of the financial stuff you guys are doing in the real estate market. Yeah, my dad, I tell people mix up their attribution and founder stories all the time. And I sometimes see people say, you know, I'm self-made, self-made this, self-made that. And I understand what they're trying to get at. But everybody is, you know, everybody has uh, shoulders to stand on. And I got lucky and blessed because my parents, you know, raised me in a way that was conducive to me moving forward in life and the system, you know, whatever you want to call it. I remember my dad when I was 11 years old, he was the VP of sales at Allstate Insurance and he would force me to skip school to go with him to uh, these big business simulcasts. Do you remember simulcasts back in the day? Oh yeah. Like yeah, John Maxwell simulcast, you'd go into mm -hmm. this church it would put the projection on the screen. These are the most boring. I, I was begging to go to school. And that's, you know, it's boring when I'm like, I would much rather go to school than go to these things. But he would say, you know, if you come with me, we'll get Chick-fil-A. We'll make it a father Sunday. And I would sit through these simulcasts all day. And um, I would listen to Patrick Lencioni and John Maxwell and these leaders and titans that now everybody listens to and reads. But back then I had no idea when you're 11. You're, you're not thinking about these things. Um, people ask me all the time, like, how did you get, how did you get going so fast? Like, how did, is this not normal? The things in, that, it, that I've been able to achieve in the time that I've been able to achieve them. And I think that there's some muscle memory that was given to me by my dad when I was 11, 12, 13, 14. And once you get into the business world, you got a lot of subconscious strategy and muscle memory going on. Um, and I think it's for me as a father of a daughter, and I'm going to have a son here pretty hopefully soon. Um, it's one of my highest callings is to make sure that my children are raised up with the same advantage and opportunity to steward people in the future. A long tangent there, yeah, uh, no. but I'm very grateful for my family. Very yeah. grateful. Yeah, I love that part of your story. Mine's a little bit different. Um, you know, both of my parents came from broken homes. 
uh, no fathers in their, their lives and, you know, just a lot of broken stuff. And then they gave me a good stability. But I think what you're talking about is a foundation. You got your, you got a bulk of your foundation, your success foundation, you know, pretty early, whether you knew it or not, it was kind of being built for you, which I think is awesome. Um, for me, my parents gave me more of a work ethic. You know, I saw my parents working a lot. Um, and they took me to work. I was able to, you know, it's one of the things I wish I had a position, uh, for many years where my kids could go to work with me on the job. Uh, my mom would have me, she managed convenience stores. So she would take advantage of the free labor and use me to restock the shelves and you name it. I was doing it. Yeah. My dad was a carpenter. So now you, you grew up, but it sounds like your dad was your, your parents or your house. Were you guys like more middle-class growing up? We were, yeah, we never really, uh, wanted for anything. Uh, but we had a lot of, I had a lot of advantages and, you know, my family went bankrupt in the great recession. And so that was the first time that I even knew what money was as a, like as a kid, you know, just stop money was always in the bank. You know, when we needed it, we had it. Uh, but 2008, 2009, you know, I was in college at this point. Um, you know, just, it was such a horrible time for so many people. Um, not even in just America, but the world. And uh, that was the first time I was like, yo, I don't know anything really about money, finance. Like my dad taught me how to budget, but he didn't, they didn't teach me how to control uh, the, the economic situation of my life. They, they taught me how to count money, but they didn't necessarily teach me how to become valuable and earn more money. They didn't teach me how money is created or, you know, investments. And so, you know, we went through that period of my life and it started putting a fire in me that I needed to study. You know, and this is, life teaches you two things. When you go through good times, you're you typically develop advantages and you develop different levels of comfort. But when you go through rough times, you develop resilience. And I think most of my life, I was definitely given advantages in terms of education, you know, leadership training, um, relative level of opportunity to do what I wanted to do. But in 2008, I started developing resilience for the first time because life got really hard. Um, so that's like a different tangent that we can go down. But, um, as the personality that I am, I have studied every single successful person that I can find that lost everything in 2008, because I don't want to go through that, you know? And unfortunately, a lot of people go through situations and they get frustrated and they want to know why it happened to them without flipping it around and looking for attribution and asking the question, you know, what did I do to allow this and how do I prevent it in the future? Yeah. I think that's a lot of yeah, that's a lot of great wisdom. I think, uh, you know, it's it's like uh, I guess the way I say it is the it, every everything's fine until the party stops. You know, no one ever expects the party to end. Like you said, the, you know, the Great Recession and that two thousand eight two thousand nine housing crisis that we saw happen, uh, where the banks all got bailed out because you know they that's the way we should do it, right? No, no, it's not. But nah. but, but uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting perspective, and I do think that's true. Is like if you don't learn from your mistakes or you're going to repeat them, or as you said, you learn from other people's mistakes because you didn't want to go through that. 100%. Yep. Now, when you went through that, as you started learning about finances, it sounded like your dad gave, your dad and your family gave you a lot of good um, character culture, you know, through the simulcasts and things that you, you discussed. They didn't, it doesn't sound like they gave you a, a lot of financial uh, standing or financial wisdom. You had to pick that up on your own. Yeah, well, they didn't know until later. My dad didn't really develop what I would call like financial uh, infrastructure until years after that season of his life. Um, 
And this is partially due to just the lack of financial education in America. I feel like you know, one of the things that we're building now is a brand that tackles financial education, not financial education from a, a position of like, hey, here's how to just budget and get out of debt, but from a, a posture of like, look, um, you know, money is a tool and it's not to be feared and it's not to be you know, emotionalized or used against you. There is a way to develop authority over money, over assets, over balance sheets, and really learn how the system works and how the game works so that you can take care of your family with it. And I want to go into colleges and you know, like all, all of it. Like We're going to hit some problems because when you teach a, uh, a community how to control their financial future, uh, you remove a bit of the uh, control mechanisms that you know, culture can have on labor. And so there's there's a little bit of a wrestle happening in going into schools and colleges and teaching young people how to be leaders and how to control their value propositions because it doesn't just doesn't make sense because of what we're taught growing up. You know, there's there's a counter narrative that's most of the time being taught in schools about how real success is achieved. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, I had another guest on that I was recording with today. And we got to talking about, I'm sure you've read the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Have you read through yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that book is popping up everywhere right now on my radar. And uh, I'm in the middle of going through it. I've had it on my bookshelf for a while, but haven't finished it. But uh, I know the gist of it. But but yeah, the whole the whole thing, it, it gets down to this is like the system we're living in, even though, you know, statistically, you know, America has uh, just a ridiculous amount of millionaires per capita compared to other countries, you know, 40% roughly of the world's millionaires live in the United States. But you still have to ask the question, why do we have 330 million people in the U.S. and we're not really taught about finances? We're taught about a bunch of stuff that we don't really use. I had that conversation with my daughters uh, like last week, like, you know, the different things, you know, calculus and all those kinds of things that are you just don't get back to them. I went to school as an engineer and, yeah, I used calculus while I was an engineer um, for about six years. and I don't do calculus anymore. And but why would somebody else need to learn it at all? That wasn't going yeah. to be an architect or engineer. And it goes back to the system. I think the fundamental system is is flawed intentionally uh, to not teach people that. I think people that learn about finance, learn about money are, you know, they're free. They're freer. They're going to be freer than people that didn't learn about it. And and I think that's the crux of the whole system is um, poor, people in poverty, people that are broke are just easier to control. Yeah. People want to, people might listen to this and be like, oh, conspiracy theorists and it's not necessarily that we're being conspiratorial. You, know, you can have something that's set up for the right reasons that eventually goes wrong because you don't change it or you change it the wrong way. You know, people get into relationships that originally were really good and they were committed to one another. But at some point along the way, they started skipping the fundamentals or they started changing things in a way that you know, were detrimental to the trust of the relationship. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know America started as this, you know, like, let's take over a slave population of labor. And that's not what I'm saying. You know, but I do believe that when something gets big really fast and powerful really fast, you know, mistakes are made and fault lines are stepped on. And I think from an education standpoint, we have such a divide in the country around what is important to learn. And if you can get into the political realms of power and you get into the media, you are able to control the opinions of the mass market. And both of those venues right now, unfortunately, are placing undue emphasis on things that do not matter. And nobody cares about 
you know, the color of the first lady's shoes. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. Or we shouldn't be reporting on it. And if you're still using checks, like there's something wrong with you. You're like, you don't understand. If you, if you don't have a requisite understanding of like online banking or you know, how to use software to budget, it's like there are areas of opportunity. And I tra- train my staff today. I'm like, don't bring me problems. Bring me a list of opportunities. It's the same thing about how we view the world. And that's why I don't want to like hate on the system over and over. It's like we have so much opportunity inside of the system to make it better, to make it stronger, more resilient. Because our kids are going to grow up one day and they're going to take over. And their level of their uh, competency is going to be determined by the decisions we make right now. We just get lost in the days, man. And then nothing changes. We just perpetuate the same norm. That's why we're where we are. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. You said you got two kids. I have six, actually. And I, so, want. Yeah. I want. Well, I want to. Yeah. You're one going on two. Are you going to stop yeah. with two? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I, I would try to get my wife to stop after three, and she started crying on me and, and uh, told me that she'd always wanted four. And so I'm like, ah, whatever. And uh, Let's go so, with it. Yeah, Let's we go went with four. it. Well, I'm, I was, uh, I was a, a response. I was going to say a fault, but my kids might kill me if I say that. Uh, you know, for the la- for number five and six. But what was interesting, you know, when we go through that is like you said, you're you didn't learn finance from your dad. You had to learn it on your own. I was the same way. I was a little bit older than you. I think maybe I'm tw- I'm a uh, 51 this year. Um, 25 is when I started learning about finance and, and breaking free. Um, and that now I'm in a place where I'm like, okay, I learned all this stuff, but how am I going to make sure my kids pick it up? Right. And that my kids don't just learn to be frugal and, you know, avoid debt and, you know, budget, but actually learn the principles of wealth and wealth building. And uh, that's something, you know, I don't have it all figured out yet because I'm a, a, a dad that's doing it for the first time. And I don't really have a model. Uh, that I had to, you know, mimic. I think some of the times we learn things from other people and get to observe and watch. And most often that happens within our own family, right? So how our dad did it and taught us is how we teach our kids kind of yeah. like perpetuation. And so I'm figuring that out for the first time. I got uh, talking about cryptocurrency with one of my kids and gold and silver with a couple and, you know, some Apple stocks with others. And uh, yeah, and, and obviously real estate's your forte, right? You know, all, all of it. Um, you know, real estate is probably my favorite to begin, you know, but yeah, crypto, NFTs, um, options, capital markets. Yeah, to me, it's all, they're just different variations of the same game, which is how do you multiply money? And there's three things you can do with your money. You can store it, you can spend it, or you can multiply it. And what the wealthy people do that the people in the middle class and lower class don't do is when they are spending or storing, they're also multiplying. And that multiplication effect kind of undergirds everything that they choose to do with their money. So, you know, I want to multiply money in real estate. I want to multiply money in the markets. I want to multiply money in cryptocurrency. I want to multiply money in everything that I do. I want to be able to multiply what I'm given um, so that I'm able to be more generous and my family can learn the skill sets. And, you know, when... When you look at what's happening in crypto right now, if you haven't invested in crypto, um, it's not because you're smarter than anyone else. It's just because there's a lack of fundamental understanding of the technology that's running crypto. And I think that that's where I sit on the conversation because people are like, oh, you're a real estate guy also into crypto. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just into money. And like, I just, I just want money to go do its thing and to multiply. And crypto is a conduit for money to multiply. It's a value accrual for people and where people assign value, they also assign money. 
So you got to be where that value assignment is to accrue the value. Yeah, I love that. And I think there's an easy way to say that the same way you said it, which is, you know, when you get a new dollar, future millionaires that are listening to the show, when you get a new dollar, are you going to, you know, spend it, save it, or are you going to put it in a place where it multiplies? And I think, like you said, Taylor, the people that are, that build the most wealth, their, their propensity or their inclination when they get a new dollar, they're, they're already pre-programmed mentally to stick it somewhere where it multiplies, whether that's any one of those, you know, dozen areas that you just mentioned. Um, yep. Not just stick it in a bank, let it collect dust or, you know, deflate by, you know, 10% a year or whatever the inflation rate is this year, depending on, yep. who, you talk, depending on who you talk to, right? Prior than that, if you look at CPI, it's like, you know, used cars and trucks are up 25%. Used, like housing is up 35%. People are not... <laughs> This is funny that like if you've ever read the book How to Lie with Statistics, you start seeing it everywhere. It's like, oh, you can make math do anything that you want it to do. It, math can tell whatever story you want it to tell. So yeah, we we want to say that inflation for 2021 was 7.5 percent, but you have to count in also the CPI increase, probably closer to 25, 30 percent. If you if when it's all said and done, unless we have deflation, which is not going to happen this year, I don't think. So yeah, it's not going to go back down. And uh, you know, I'm in. Not construction, but I do a lot of home repair. And uh, two by fours have gotten kind of pricey here lately. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a year and a half ago, they're at 295 Now I'm paying like seven bucks a piece for them. But now you, you talked about education. Let's delve into that a little bit because you, you've obviously been thinking about this problem. Do you have programs in place or are you in the process of developing your programs? We do have programs in place, but we primarily serve the entrepreneurial market. So one of the consulting companies that I own and operate is uh, we serve freelancers and, you know, we, you know, freelancers is one of the fastest growing sectors of the U.S. economy. And over the next 10 years, we want to help a million freelancers add $100,000 a year to their bottom line. So $100 billion added back into the economy. Um, the thing that we're working on right now is getting, fractionalizing some of that content to put into education, which is a little bit different. It's not... Hey, here's how to go get clients. Here's how to run your books. Here's how to, you know, set up, uh, you know, operating accounts and so forth and so on. It's it's a little bit more of a applicable, practical uh, training curriculum that we can get into schools um, around the ideas of like, here's how money works. Here's how you should think about money. Here's how uh, you should think about poverty and middle class and upper class and and so I've got a book coming out in May of this year called Good at Money. And it represents the first significant investment that I've made into like mass market financial education. And talking to people about my story, talking to people about how debt works, why it works the way that it works, whether debt is good or bad, um, and teaching people how to set a plan for their money that doesn't involve, um, you know, the fear of debt or, you know, or slavery to debt. Like yeah, there is a world that you can arrive at personally where you're not operating based on fear, but you're operating based on vision. And so we're going to teach people how to do that. Who knows what will come of that? Um, I'm hoping that people find it valuable, uh, but we'll just release it and see. Yeah. Well, I think there's no shortage of people that need help. My, my uh, sister, um, you know, it's no secret to you guys listening to the show. I used to work for Dave Ramsey for 15 years. I've uh, been out from uh, there for about five years now. So I left in 2016, but my sister, when I was going into that program, I had already been, you know, mentally in a different place financially. I was doing my own investments and things for about five years before I joined Dave. And then, you know, under the the leadership model, you're kind of, you know, expected to, uh, uh, what's the word, drink the Kool-Aid, be on the same program. 
So that changed my financial mindset. But my sister actually went through uh, Dave's program three times. And for whatever reason, it just, it never stuck. It's, it's never stuck with her. And, uh, and I think the, the, the gist of that is, you know, people learn in different ways or connect with material in different ways and, and get active. So there's no shortage of people out there that need, you know, I think a fresh approach or, or different types of financial, you know, Ed, uh, when my wife, Taylor, uh, you said your book's coming out. Has your wife read it yet? She's read bits and pieces. I'm rewriting, um, I'm rewriting the script as we, as we get them back from publishing. So, Uh Yeah. Yeah, when my book came out, I uh, she was the last person to read my book actually before it went off to the publishers, and I liked that that it worked out that way. When I uh, I had a, one of my good friends be my first readers, and he gave me feedback, and then she was supposed to be the last reader and editor. And she does writing herself; she's a little bit of a journalist, and I went to school for journalism. She, by the way, has her own book coming out uh, probably this year on human trafficking. And uh, wow. we're work, yeah, we're working through that. It's been a, an interesting journey just for us to learn about the travesty of human trafficking. But, but when she read my book, and I wonder if your your wife will do this to you, she came back to me. I thought I was finished and ready to give it to the publisher, and she came back with like sixty three changes that needed to be made. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, honey, I've already done ten edits. You're gonna you're gonna make me change it some more. And I really blew them off. I didn't think I was gonna have to change the book at all. I thought I was like, yeah, maybe three of these. And I'll tell you what. About all 60 of them were great edits that she found and, and I had to make the changes, you know, and I had, there were about three that I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do those three, but, but uh, she was a big help. But what was interesting about that is uh, she had also been through Dave's program and knew about it. And, and then when she read my book, uh, she was like, hey, like, I get it. Like, I understand finance now. And which was a real blessing to me because, you know, on our financial journey, I kind of just did my thing for our family. I didn't really include her. She just trusted me, which I think is the wrong way to do it. But, you know, young couple, um, you know, you figure things out, right? But uh, that was the biggest compliment I could get is go, hey, she's already been through, you know, what a lot of people would say is one of the most impactful people in teaching personal finance out there. But yet, for some reason, it didn't connect with her, but it did connect with her when she read my book. And and I don't think that was her just uh, giving me props, right? Striking my ego. But uh, I'll be interested to read your stuff when it comes out. When do you think it's going to be out? I would say the end of May. and We should just get you a copy. Um, we're getting everything finalized right now, and we should have everything approved, hopefully by the end of March and published by the end of May. That's always uh, TBD, though. Yeah, right. So there's, never no, there's no telling what you're going to have to change on. Now, with, in that particular book that you're coming out with, are you trying to stick with like, what I would call like a foundation finance, like, hey, here's your foundation. You got to get this under your belt before you can move on to more of the advanced stuff, like, you know, multiple wealth building concepts and things like that. No, we, uh, it, you know, I talk about whole life insurance and the pros and cons and talk about, um, you know, when you need a trust versus just a will and testament. And, you know, we're, we'll write several of these books over the next 10 years. It, it's, being published by the new brand that we stood up at the end of September called Levels of Wealth. And so there's, uh, in my mind, you know, from studying and becoming or like ascending these levels myself, you know, there's, there's these levels that you have to go through and they're pretty infallible. I mean, people can skip around from time to time, but usually they spend a season of their life in each level. You've got the level where you're poor, which is by definition, not derogatory. It's just the, you, your means are not supportive of the life that you want to have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to a place where you're rich, and you know I'm just going to define rich as the person who is no longer struggling to live uh, paycheck to paycheck. 
Then you have wealthy, which is when your balance sheet pays you more than your P&L. Um, that's where we all want to get to eventually, where you, know, you no longer have to work for money. You work for impacts and your balance sheet is really the driver of your monthly burn. But then there's a fourth level that I've seen people get to. And it's immortality. It's legacy. It's their message won't die after they do. And they are passing along these generational lessons with their family. You look at the Rockefellers versus, uh, you know, the Vanderbilts. And it's like the Rockefellers did a better job multi-generationally than the Vanderbilts did. And they're still wealthy and the Vanderbilts are not comparatively. But what was the difference? Well, one set up something for the long term and one really just set up kind of for a gold rush. And so teaching people how to set their trusts up in such a way that you know, their kids are going to be able to have access to all of the opportunities that they want them to. We get into some of that stuff. So it's a really good like primer on here's how you start at one of the lower levels, getting control of your finances, getting control of your spending. And then once you do that, you've got to get in control of your value production because you want to earn more money. Um, you know, the Dave Ramsey model is, you know, there's two ways to become financially free, spend less than you make, make less than or make more than you spend with an emphasis on spending less than you make, right? There's really an emphasis on that first primer. Here's how to stop overspending, erase debt, all those things. Um, what I want to do is I want to take people to financial independence. I don't just want to get them out of debt. I want to get them into productive debt and out of unproductive debt and get them to a place where you know they are earning more from sleeping than your traditional civilian is earning from working a full day. That's when you're free. That's when you have independence. And there's not enough education around that, in my opinion. No, I totally agree with you. It's a, it's a different mindset shift. I think for me, I've, I've really started breaking it down into four buckets, which is um, you know the broke bucket, the just getting by bucket, the future millionaire bucket, and the millionaire bucket. And uh, you know, and you're you're what you sound like you're moving people to is into that future millionaire state, or the millionaire state is where your focus is, is like getting people away from the just getting by and from the broke bucket. Now, question. So when I talk to people, uh, whether they're old or young, you know, one of the things that always comes up is uh, they think rich people got lucky, you know, rich people like you, uh, me, um, anybody else that's out there, the, you know, 10 plus million households that are millionaire households in the U.S. And the truth is, that's not, that's just not true. That's not, that's not the case. And, and you don't, it doesn't matter what age you are, you can do it at any age. What, how long of a time frame do you feel like on average, just paint it with a broad stroke, does it take for somebody to get uh, financially independent, as you say, when they decide they make the choice, right? They're making a choice to do it. They're starting to grow. How long do you think it takes? Three years to get into like a healthy level of living. So it'd be like rich. And then another seven years, I think, uh, to get to independence. So you could do it inside of a decade. Yeah. And that's, that, that's a time frame that I think a lot of people don't really even understand. It's a, it seems like a far cry, especially when you're going from 70% of people living paycheck to paycheck. Just to get your head around that, that financial independence level, what do you think is the key to, for that 10-year time frame or within the decade? Um, it's buying assets instead of buying toys. It's getting, your, getting anything that you want in your life paid indirectly from an asset or a balance sheet. And this is the hard part about it is you know, when, when we talk about financial independence, it's like it's, a, it's an arbitrary definition because if somebody makes uh, $400,000 a year, financial independence for them, it looks different than somebody who makes $3 million a year. Because my definition of dependence is the burn on that person's lifestyle is paid from the balance sheet. 
So as you can imagine, certain people come into this game uh, within a couple of years, they start making really good money. Well, for them to become financial independent, you know, spending $200,000 a year, they have to reset their independence targets. They have to reset because it, it does them now at this point, like them earning $60,000 a year from their balance sheet, which is what they earned three years ago, no longer qualifies for financial independence if they're now spending $200,000 a year. So you got to be really careful that as you start earning more money, you don't just increase your burn at the same time. And that's where I think people get it. They get it all messed up. They'll go from $100,000 a year to $200,000 a year and their burn or their budget will go from $100,000 to $200,000. It's like you can't, you're never going to get ahead. You're never going to get free because every time you make more money, that extra increase is reallocated right back into spending. So you have to, at some point, get a lifestyle that you're happy with and fix it, cap it, leave it, don't change it. You continue to go to work and you make more money and more money and more money. Um, But you hit that enough is enough point and you're able to live happily on a quarter million dollars a year or a hundred thousand or whatever the number is, everything excess is put into assets. That's the key because if you keep increasing your burn rate, you're not going to hit it in seven years. You're not going to hit it in 700 years. You're never going to hit it. Yeah. It's, I guess the best way, when I see that, what you're saying there, it's, you know, it's expense creep, your expenses go up as your income goes up. But what's really happening is if you envision just like a, almost like a sand, right? It's, it, your cash is sand. It's like slipping through your fingers. You got to find a better way to, you know, to hold on to it, put it in the right places. So, uh, man, I really appreciated you being on the show and, and hanging out with us. Um, how are people going to find more about what you're doing and get in touch with you? Best place to follow me for just the raw unfiltered would be Twitter. Taylor A. Welch is the username. Um, you can also go to taylorawelch.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S. It's got a list of almost all of the projects that I'm involved in. It's a lot. Um, you know, so real estate is one of the buckets that I'm putting focus and time into. Um, but anytime you connect with me on social, send me a note. I love com- connecting with people and responding to people and if you have any questions, hit me up. We'd love to uh, share value with your audience anytime I can. Taylor, man, I really appreciate it and your wisdom and definitely an inspiration. I can't wait to see what comes out when your book comes out. Make sure future millionaires listening to the show, you pick a copy of that up. You're going to get, uh, you may not realize it because we didn't talk about age, but let's pull that out. Taylor, how old are you right now? I turned 33 in about a month. Yeah. So don't, don't miss that. If you're listening to the show, this is a 33 year old multimillionaire talking to you, trying to help inspire you guys to uh, make some better decisions with your money. And, uh, and, and he's got some great wisdom. Check him out. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to talk to someone about what to do with your money or career, but you didn't know who to ask? You can try to figure out how money works on your own, but it's a lot easier and a lot less painful with a mentor, but not just any mentor. You need a money mentor. A money mentor helps you understand the ins and outs of money, getting rid of your debt, setting up your investments, and figuring out ways to help you boost your income. Finding a money mentor is millionaire key number four, and it's one of the most important keys on your financial journey. Let me tell you about a special opportunity I have for you. For a limited time, I'm making myself available as your money mentor. You can book one hour with me for free. That's no charge. One hour may not sound like a lot, but with just one hour, I know I can have a huge impact on your life and finances. It's 100% free, no risk. 
Visit themillionairechoice.com and register for the free Money Mentor session. That's themillionairechoice.com and click on Money Mentor. That's a wrap for this episode of The Millionaire Choice. Remember, wealth is a result of getting smarter with your money. Wealth helps you enjoy life and help people. For resources, tools, and a community that will accelerate your millionaire journey, go to themillionairechoice.com. The Millionaire Choice Show shares the opinions and experiences of people and should not be considered financial advice. Before making your own financial choices, please seek out a registered financial advisor or certified financial planner.